This morning, we're going to continue our series that we've been in called Lego Living. And this morning, we're going to talk about faithfulness. It's also, it is a, it's an important Sunday here at Calvary because it's, it's the day that we have designated as, as our one day to feed the world Sunday. I want you to know this. I take it very seriously when we invite ministry guests. Uh, there are a couple of things that are very important to me. Number one, it is important to me that anyone who steps on this stage, that they, they live what they preach. It's also, it's, it's important to me uh, that, they are, that they are actively engaged in making a difference in the kingdom. And that they, most of all, that they have a heart of a servant. And this morning, I want you to know that one of my, uh, oftentimes people will step up and they'll talk about dear friends. Uh, and it's not really a dear friend, it's a casual acquaintance. Uh, but the, the gentleman that is here with us this morning, he is one of my dear friends. When I need somebody to pray for me, he's, he's the first person that I call. Uh, when I want to share a great praise report, uh, he's first on the list. Uh, when I want to talk about something stupid that I have done, uh, he is right there uh, to affirm that indeed it was a very stupid thing. And so uh, that's, the, that's the sign of a, of a true friend. Uh, and, and the thing that I appreciate the most about uh, Aaron Cole is this, is that he challenges me uh, to be a better pastor, but beyond that, he challenges me to be, to be a better person. Uh, he serves as part of the executive leadership team uh, for Convoy of Hope, as well as pastoring a great church in the Milwaukee area. Would you help me in welcoming uh, one of my, truly one of my great friends, Aaron Cole. Aaron, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, an, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you today. And um, if I could just take a moment and brag on your pastor, uh, God brought Ed and Jody Garvin into my life uh, a little over 16 years ago when my wife and I moved to pastor in uh, Milwaukee. So if you hear my accent and you go, that kid does not sound like he's from Milwaukee, it's because I'm not. And uh, it's, uh, I grew up in a little town called Fort Smith, Arkansas. So if you've seen the movie True Grit, where the railroad ends, that's my hometown. And uh, so I, I moved there and uh, pastor a church and, and uh, knew no one, had no connection to anybody. And uh, I met your pastor uh, at a minister's gathering. And our hearts just kind of knit together. And uh, we, from there, man, we have traveled around the world. Uh, we have uh, done a lot of life together. Uh, as he would say about the stupid things, I probably have done more stupid things than he's done. And he's... Uh, kept me out of getting into trouble and uh, all, that, all, that, all that crazy stuff. But Ed, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to be here and to preach. Uh, it's truly an honor and a privilege. And uh, I, Jody and, and uh, Drew and Lauren, we just, my family, I have two daughters, uh, Anna and Ava, a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old. And uh, we just love the Garvins. And can you just give your pastor and his family just an honor? Amen. It is great to be here. And on behalf of Convoy of Hope, thank you for all that you do, Calvary. Uh, you are a partner, uh, a friend to the ministry. And so uh, Hal Donaldson, the uh, CEO and the founder and the president of Convoy of Hope, sends his greetings and his love. And, uh, and again today, I just want to encourage you as uh, you're going to be uh, participating along with 
hundreds of other churches around the United States in the one day to feed the world, to minister, to give the people that have not the ability. So thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 3. Uh, Judges chapter 3. Uh, I want to look at a very obscure passage of Scripture today. Uh, I'm not going to be uh, a, an in-depth passage, but I want to look at, at, at uh, as we talk about this one day uh, to feed the world, I want to look at this. And um, I, I love great heroes of the Bible. So again, I, I am, uh, I'm 46 years of age. I've been in Germantown, Wisconsin, in the Milwaukee area for about 16 years. Uh, just kind of uh, uh, been there to pastor and, and uh, grew up in the, in the church. My, my dad was a, was, a, was a board member in the church, kind of. I grew up on the other side of the pew, or the other side of the pulpit, as I would say. And, uh, and so he was a, a deacon, so my job was to mess up the pastor's kids. Anybody? Amen? Yeah. And I did a really good job at that. And so anyhow, I just grew up in that type of a household, grew up in church and, and around this. And, and I love to hear the stories of, of great men and women like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and, and Daniel and, and these great heroes of the faith and Moses. And, but to be honest with you, the people that I really resonate with are the people that are typically somewhat obscure in Scripture. Uh, that are somewhat, maybe even no name in Scripture, that God chose to do something extraordinary in the life of an ordinary person. And, um, and I want to talk about one of those people today. See, in Israel's history in the Old Testament, uh, after Joshua, the promised land, and before Samuel uh, anoints Saul and then David to be king of Israel, there's this chronological piece of, of Israel's history where it was led by a group of judges. There were actually 13 of them in its chronological history. And there's one that sticks out to me. Uh, he's number three in a line of 13 judges or leaders that God used to be able to lead the nation of Israel during this particular period of its history. And his name is Shamgar. Shamgar. Now, Shamgar is not a name. You're probably going to name your kids. You may not even name your pets, right? But Shamgar is one of those individuals that um, he does something extraordinary and that God does something extraordinary in his life in this ordinary person. Judges chapter 3, there's only two places in the Bible where his name is mentioned. And the first one is Judges chapter 3, verse 31. It says, after Ehud, the second judge, came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he too saved Israel. Now, verse 30 instructs us that Israel had lived in an unprecedented time of, of peace with the Moabites for the last 80 years. But Israel had more than one enemy. So if you read the Old Testament at all, right? So you've got like the, you got the Jebusites and the Moabites, and it feels like there's the termites. Anybody else? That's how you read it? Amen? All right, good. I'm in good company. And uh, uh, they, they had these enemies, and one of their arch enemies was the Philistines. Chapter 5, if you turn just two chapters to the right, in chapter 5, verse 6, it describes what Israel was like in those days. In those days of Shamgar, that's only second place in Scripture, uh, Shamgar's name is mentioned, son of Anath, the roads were abandoned, the travelers took to winding paths. Verse 7 says that the village life in Israel ceased. Verse 8 continues on, there was not a shield or a spear that was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Pretty bleak. 
So let, let me explain kind of what's going on here and, and, and a little bit of the backstory because you can kind of read that and kind of go, okay, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. So you've got Israel at this point because they've occupied the promised land. They're being led by the succession of, of judges. They're, uh, they're, they've gone from being a nomadic people in the wilderness to being this agricultural homesteading group of people. And so in all of that, they, they have now built their homes and now they're, they're planting their fields and they're trying to just do life. And the Philistines are coming in after this period of peace and they're raiding those fields and they're, they're plundering their towns and, and, and they're, they're taking advantage of everything that's there. And then they're just leaving the Israelites desolate. And so this has not happened once, but it's happened numerous times. It's, it's happened to the point that chapter 5 tells us that the life of Israel, uh, the village life had ceased. What does that mean? Nobody's going out. No, no, nobody's going out after dark. You're, you're watching your kids. You're, you're paying attention to everything. You're, you're being very protective. You're, you're almost in this defensive way. And, and, and the, again, these are not warriors. So there's not one sword or one spear among 40,000 Israelites. These are farmers. Now, I, again, uh, again, growing up in Arkansas, I know a little bit about agriculture and the farming. Both of my grandfathers farmed and, and uh, you know, and, and, and I... Farmers, you know, I mean, just pretty simple. Um, that's Israel. They just want this peaceful, simple life. Drive their F-150. Can I get a witness in the house? Amen. Right? A little bit of mud on the tires. That shows that, you know, you got a little skin in the game. And that's it. It's just, I just, just, just want to, you know, I, I need biscuits and gravy in the morning. Anybody? And, right? Amen. I need a good hearty breakfast. Go work the farm. And then I'm going to come in the end of the night. And then we're going to have fried okra. Anybody? Anybody hungry right now? Man, after that great worship, I worked up a good appetite. I'm ready to eat. Amen? So, I mean, this is how they want to live life. And, 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 but this ceases. Because every time they plant a crop, the Philistines are coming in and they're taking advantage and they're raiding their crops. Every time it's time for harvest, all that they've planted has been taken from them and taken from them. And this happens over and over and over until finally something's got to be done. And in steps in Shamgar. And the Bible says, go back to chapter 3, verse 31, that Shamgar struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. What is an ox goad? An ox goad was a farm tool that was used to prod the oxen and uh, also to kind of knock off the, the dirt off of any of the tools. So it was, it was a, kind of a, a long wooden rod, 5 to 10 feet in length about two inches in diameter, and on one end it was a sharp point to, to point the oxen and to, and to prod them, and on the other end it was a broad chisel-like uh, blade that was used to clean the plow of the clay or the roots or the debris that would get in as they'd plow the fields. Just a stick. But that day, in Shamgar's hands, this stick turns into a lethal weapon. Now, I don't know how you read this, but I read the Bible, like, here's what I believe. This is just Aaron's, like, nearly inspired version. Your pastor can straighten out my theology when I leave, amen? But I think when we get to heaven, we're gonna, there's a heavenly IMAX. Anybody? 
I think there is. And I think all these great occurrences in Scripture, we're going to get to see. Like the screen's going to drop down, and we're going to get to see what it was really like to, when, the, when, when the Israelites left, the prom, left, left is, uh, Egypt and they, they went to the promised land. I think we're going to see what it was like when, when Daniel and the lions did. I think we're going to see David and Goliath. But I also want to see the day that Shamgar took out 600 Philistine warriors with a stick. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what kind of pedigree you have, education or training. If you can take down 600 men with a stick, I want to meet you. Amen? I mean, that's like some Jackie Chan stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody some Bruce Lee? I mean, I'm all about that. I mean, I, I just want like, how does this farmer who's passive who's just got his F-150 and he just had his biscuits and gravy, but he had enough. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had enough? And he just said, I, I, can't, I can't take any more. And one, I don't, we don't know if it's over one day or if it took him a week. I really don't care. I just want to see this guy destroy 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Here, here's what's important about Shamgar. Shamgar did what he could with what he had with where he was. Shamgar did what he could with what he had with where he was. You see, he did what he could do. He's defending himself. He's defending his life. He's defending his livelihood. He's defending his family. He's defending his countrymen. He's defending the nation of Israel. And, and in, in order to do that, he has to take what he could do. And, and what he could do as a farmer was to take that ox goat and to destroy the 600 Philistines to stop this insanity. He, 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 he's a farmer, but, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. He, he does what he has the ability to do. He does what's in his hand. He, he does it with where he is. And that's all God expects out of you and out of me. God doesn't expect you and I to do what we can't do. He only expects us to do what we can do. God doesn't expect you today in this one day to feed the world offering for you to give what you can't. He just expects you to do what you can. He doesn't expect you to do what I have the ability to do or for me to do what you have the ability to do or for you to do what someone else has the ability to do or vice versa. He just simply asks you to do what you can do. You ever thought about that? God will never ask you to do something that you don't have the ability to do. But how often do we fail to make a contribution? Do we fail to, 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 to step up and to do what we have the ability to do because we think our contribution won't matter? It just really doesn't make that big of a, it's really not that, I'm just a farmer. I'm just this obscure person that's only gonna be mentioned twice in scripture. We feel unworthy. I, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I don't have the ability. No. God only expects you and I to do what we have the ability to do. I, I, the church that I pastor, I, I joke with them and say, look, man, it's really the truth. But I say, I only got one talent, and that's I can talk. That's why I do it so long, which I'm on a timer today, so don't worry about it. And I'm hungry, so that's working in your favor. Amen. Yeah, everybody's like, I hope so. So, but what is it that God's given you the ability to do? 
That's all he's asking you to do. That's all Shamgar did. God's not asking you to go save the world. God's not asking you to, to do something that's beyond your ability. And in our, the world that we live in, you can feel very hopeless sometimes and very helpless sometimes. Like it really doesn't make a difference. But the truth of the matter is, is when you do what you have the ability to do, God shows up and does what only he can do. That's called sovereignty. Theologians take this great concept and this construct of sovereignty, which means when you have the ability and you do what you have the ability to do, then God does what you don't have the ability to do. And he partners with us. That's what Shamgar did. He did what he could. He does what he could with what he had. Remember chapter five says there's no spear. There's no sword. There's no army. There's no arsenal. All he has is an ox goad, a stick. But how many of you know little becomes much when God's in it? Over and over and over. Do you know that God's given you exactly what you need to succeed? God's given you exactly what you need in this offering today. That's one of the things I love about One Day to Feed the World, where we take one day's wage. So I don't have to give what you make and you don't have to give what I make. And it doesn't matter if our amounts are different, our sacrifices are equal. And all of a sudden, when I do what I can with what I have, God shows up. I mean, I talk to people sometimes and, and they focus on what they don't have. I, if, and it's what I call the case of the if I had. Well, if I had a million dollars and, and if, if I was more connected and, and if I had the promotion and, and if I had this and, and if I had that. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. My granny used to say, if if and butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a very Merry Christmas. What do you have? This isn't rocket science, folks. It's simple. What's in your hand? That day in Shamgar's hand was an ox goad. And with that simple ox goad, he strikes down and destroys 600 armed soldiers. How? God's in it. He does what he can do with what he had, with where he was. Where was Shamgar? He's in a very unique time in history in Israel's life. Moses has already led them out of the Egypt into the promised land. Joshua's taken them into that promised land. They've settled now in the promised land. And, and, and there's not going to be anything that's going to happen dramatically in the life history of Israel for several more generations until Samuel anoints Saul as king and then David. And from there we go. He's just living in a time and a place where he's just trying to take care of his family, serve God, plant the crop, harvest the crop, pay for the F-150, pay for the mortgage on the farm. He's just, he's just trying to do life. And that's where most of us are. We're, we're, we're most people, nobody's going to know our name. No, nobody's going to know who we are. We're, there's not going to be some museum. And, and you know, we're, we're not going to be, uh, we're, we're, we're not going to be known in that, in that, in that, that type of capacity. We're just, we're just here. And, 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 and but, 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 but we, we're here. And even though there's, there's billions of people on the planet, we're still one of those people and, and God still placed us. And, and so you can feel like you're helpless or hopeless 
I'm sure Shamgar did. I'm sure Shamgar said, man, I wish somebody would do something about this. I wish these Philistines would stop this. I wish, but at some point in time, he takes all he can. And he didn't wait for perfect circumstances. He didn't wait for the materials. He doesn't, he doesn't wait for swords. He, he doesn't try to train an army. He doesn't try to convince. He just steps into that space. He just steps into that and does what he can with what he has, with where he is. Where is he? At this very obscure time in history. Where are you today? We live in a world that is very crazy, very complex. We turn on the news every morning to see something else that's radically changed the landscape in the world in which we live in. Today's no exception. What happened? Where are we? What's the future going to hold? No, God knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly where you are. And he has a purpose. And he placed you here not because of some coincidental, fatalistic type of circumstance, but rather in his sovereignty, in his wisdom. You're here at this juncture in history. And God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use Calvary Church. But he can only do that if you and I will step into where we are and do what we can with what we have. And don't wait for something else to show up. Don't wait for, you know, for, for, for our ship to come in. Don't wait until we get this and this and this and this. No, 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 no. I can only do what I can with what I have with where I am. Look at the end of verse 31. And it says one final declarative statement. And he too saved Israel. He too saved Israel. So when the history books are open and God lays out the history of the nation of Israel, it'll begin with Abraham, who Hebrews chapter 11 tells us he was on a journey looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. We'll talk about Isaac and Jacob. The, the history books will, will show great men like Moses that God will raise up and will save Israel as well. Joshua that will deliver them into the promised land. David that will stand and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would exalt his name before the power and the name of the glory of God? It'll, it'll talk about men like Daniel that stood in the crossroads under very duress circumstances and in a very countercultural world and stood for God and lived for God. But in that list of people will be Shamgar, along with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Moses and Joshua and David and Daniel. Because just like those individuals, he too saved Israel by doing what he could do with what he had, with where he was. And that's all God expects out of you and I in the 21st century. I'm not responsible for, quite frankly, I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. And the question today is, am I doing what I can do with what I have, with where I am? With where God's called me and placed me to be? 
with what he's given me, the authority, the influence, the resources over and with? With me. That's what we're doing today. As you give in this one day to feed the world, offering, you're doing what you can do with what you have, with where you are. And when we all do that together, we begin to change our world. I'll close with this. The year was 1941. Town was North Platte, Nebraska. Anybody been there? A couple of hands. Not a whole lot happened in North Platte even today. In 1941, the population was 12,000 people. December 7th, the Japanese had bombed and attacked Pearl Harbor. Ten days later, there was a train that was going to be coming through North Platte full of National Guardsmen from Nebraska. They were going to be stopping in North Platte because the Pacific Railroad Company, it was a hub for them. So trains always stopped in North Platte. Small little restaurant there and really nothing else going on. And so a lady named Ray Wilson, she was a drugstore clerk. She, uh, she'd heard about the troops coming through and so she decided that since they were Nebraska National Guards men and women that she was just simply going to get some ladies in the, in the community in the town there in North Platte together and they would just greet these soldiers on their way west as they were going to fight in the war. They'd just make some cookies and some donuts and maybe some sandwiches and just, just, just kind of greet them. And so she gets together some other ladies in the community and they show up and the train pulls up and they begin to look and they don't find any Nebraska National Guardsmen. They find the Guardsmen from Kansas. So Ray said, look, I didn't bake these cookies and put all this together for nothing. I'm just going to give what I got here and we're just, we'll just give this to these men and women from Kansas. And so all the other ladies followed suit and they began to do this. Ray didn't stop there because of that hub with Pacific Railroad. Every single day there were trains coming through full of military personnel, soldiers that were on their way west to be deployed for World War II. And, and so she got together and she said, you know what, we can do this and let's, let's organize this. And so they're going to stop here and they're only going to be here for 10 minutes. But when they get here for 10 minutes, let's have some fresh donuts and we'll have some quail sandwiches in season and out of season. And we'll, we'll have some donuts and some tea and some coffee. And we'll just, we'll just tell them that we're praying for them and God bless them. And so she began to assemble some ladies together and, and, and every time a train would come through, it would stop for 10 minutes and the soldiers would come off the, the train and she would be there and along with these other ladies and, and they would just give them these sandwiches and, 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 and cookies and, and cakes and, 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 and they would just uh, tea and coffee and just say, hey man, God bless you and we're praying for you and thank you for serving our country. And then the soldiers would get back onto the train and, and, and go. She does this for four and a half years. She organizes around 55,000 women in North Platte, Nebraska. Every time the train stopped, they were there. 
And, and they weren't getting this from the government. Matter of fact, Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent them a $5 check. Heard you ladies were doing some good. Thought we would stand with you. $5. The Pacific Railroad Company said, hey, we'll give you the, the restaurant. So they called it the canteen. And, 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 and we'll, we'll give that to you so that you can have that. Because, of course, they didn't charge these men. And, and these ladies didn't have some finances. They were simply taking this out of what they had. And, 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 and they, they were just simply just ministering to these soldiers on their way to war, many of whom would never come back. Four and a half years, 55,000 women over the course of that time organized. Up to 32 stops in a day they had to be prepared for. Ten minutes. Bob Green, who was a writer for the Chicago Tribune, wrote a book called Once Upon a Town. And he began to interview World War II veterans. And he kept hearing this story over and over and over about the canteen in North Platte, Nebraska. He said the story was like this. It would be, you, you had a young man who graduated high school in Brooklyn on a Friday. And on Monday, he was at the, at the office, uh, military office, signing up for duty. And on Tuesday, they put him on a train. He was heading west. And he'd be on that train for three days, no shower, just there, heading west, not knowing anyone, never being out of New York City eating K-rations, and all of a sudden in the middle of the night, somebody would yell out, North Platte. And he, along with the other soldiers, would, would get out of, uh, out of the train, and, and, and they would go in, and when they would walk in, it would be wall-to-wall with food, cakes and donuts and hot coffee and tea, sandwiches. And they'd say, these women who I didn't know, they, they, they look like my mom and my aunt. And there were girls that were there as well, looked like my sister and then my cousins. Ten minutes were up and we'd get back on the train, scared out of our minds, thinking We've, we may never come home. And the thing that struck Green was, was that they would say, you know, I, I'm in the middle of the night in a place I've never been with people that I've never met. not knowing if I'm going to return back, meeting these ladies who just simply said, we're praying for you. Thank you for serving our country. They showed me love and they showed me kindness in a way that I desperately needed it in that moment. And when I'm in the middle of the war, many times I would think, I just wish I could have 10 minutes in North Platte, Nebraska. At the end of the war, Ray and that group of ladies served six million servicemen and women in North Platte, Nebraska. How? Ray did what she could do with what she had, with where she was. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is all God is asking of us. And if we simply just do that in our lives, we can have a world of change and effect on people this side of eternity we may not see and know. Because we simply just did what we could with what we had with where we were.
Amen. Father, I just thank you for this incredible church. God, I thank you for a, a pastor in Ed and in Jody Garvin that you've blessed this congregation with who lives out this message. I thank you, Lord, for people that are here today that are living out this message. And I pray they would be encouraged. And I pray God help every one of us to simply stop looking at things that don't have our ability, we don't have the ability to change or to fix. But rather, Lord, to zero in on what we have in our hand. To not despise where we are, but to understand that you, Lord, have guided and directed us there. And to utilize our talents and our ability to serve you and to do what you've called us to do. Lord, I think when we get to heaven, it's, we're all going to have a Ray Wilson experience. Where one 10-minute stop after another 10-minute stop, one day after another day after a month, up to four and a half years, all of a sudden we look up and we realize that we've touched millions of people. Not become some grandiose scheme, but just simply serving and giving and loving right where we are with what we have in our hands, with what we have the ability to do. I pray, Lord, that your blessings would be upon Calvary Church. Lord, as they, as they give today, Lord, I just pray as they give their offering, Lord, for one day to feed the world, as they take one day's wage and they do what they can do with what they have, with where they are, I pray, Lord, you would bless not only the opportunities that's gonna go to minister to people that have not the ability to say thank you this side of eternity, but I pray, Lord, it would bless this church as they are faithful. I pray, God, you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon them so great that I have room enough to contain it. Bless the work of their hands and bless them in such a way it's a witness and testimony of you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its simplicity. I thank you for using people like Shamgar that we can identify with and for using us today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.